0: Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl.
1: This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today I have a really interesting guest, Rich Summers. He's done a lot of things. He's got a lot of cool stuff going on, but I will let him introduce himself. Hey, Rich, how's it going?
0: Avery, you're doing great. It's been a little while since we last spoke on my podcast about a year ago, but uh, things are rocking and rolling and excited for this uh, conversation today.
1: Awesome, awesome, me too. So why don't you start off by just telling our audience a little about yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up middle class. My mom is an immigrant from Taiwan. And uh, both of my parents know the value of working hard for your money and saving your money. And I was always taught from a young age to go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a job. And for the most part, that's what I did. I have a background in sales. While I was going to college, I started selling cell phones and then I went on to sell used cars and uh, really love sales. And so I thought I want to go sell commercial real estate when I get out of college and so I got out in 2008. I interviewed at a couple commercial brokerages, CB Richard Ellis and Grubbin Ellis. And at the time 2008 was happening, they were like, Hey, we love your hustle, but this is not a good time to get into the industry. They pulled those two positions and I found myself working on a car lot, wondering what am I going to do with my life? And I stumbled across a job as an air traffic controller with the FAA. And uh, I thought, why not? Let's go do it. And so I ended up doing that for 11 years. And along the way, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I remembered real estate, and I thought, I got to get back into real estate, and I got to figure this out. So I just became obsessed. I went through this education process where I just started reading a lot of books. I started listening to a lot of podcasts. I started going to networking events and meeting other real estate investors before I had even bought my first deal. And then I did at the time what society tells us is too risky, but I cashed out my retirement plan. I cashed out my 401k, and I used that as my seed money to do my first couple deals, first deal was a 11-unit building, apartment building in Cincinnati, C-class. It had all the issues, all the deferred maintenance, um, had a lot of learning lessons, fixed that property up. And shortly after that, I joint ventured with a couple partners and we bought a C-class 32-unit multifamily deal in Indianapolis, also run down, had all the problems, a lot of learning lessons baked in, but fixed up that property and sold it a couple of years later for about 3x what we had bought it for. Um, I learned how to raise private money. Started working with uh, people that were doing a lot bigger deals, um, and started taking down some larger deals, and took down about another 300 units out in North Carolina, all multifamily at this time. But I had accidentally backed into a couple short-term rental deals here locally in San Diego, where I lived, and uh, those things were just cash flowing great, even through the pandemic. And I thought, man. I have three of these things right now. Why not buy some more? So I actually did a 1031 exchange and I bought a luxury uh, property out in Scottsdale, Arizona, 7,600 square feet, did a full renovation, put about 800K into it. And it just made it this like really, really cool luxury uh, property where we got a beach volleyball court, full court basketball. We got a speakeasy, putting green, uh, fitness room, all the amenities. Uh, Refinanced that one out. Still own that. And along the way, just uh, started managing and co-hosting short-term rentals for others. And then um, decided last year when multifamily was getting very competitive, I thought, well, what if we use this management company um, to go and buy a boutique hotel, we can renovate the hotel, and then we can operate hotel the same way that we operate all of our short-term rentals around the country and we can manage these things remotely free of the on-site management with a self-check-in self check out model and kind of force our appreciation that way so I've bought the first hotel last year a 10-unit hotel up in northern california beachfront renovated the whole thing relaunched it and that thing's been doing great ever since and uh, now we have our second boutique hotel under contract here in san diego downtown san diego in the little italy neighborhood and, um, yeah, now we're rocking and rolling. That's kind of my story in a nutshell.
1: Okay. So you've, you've done a lot of things, <laughs> so you've got, <laughs> you've done multifamily long-term you've done short-term you're doing boutique hotels. So let's start at the beginning. So you started with just traditional multifamily value ads. So how did you do your first deal? How did that happen? Cause that's always the yeah. hardest one, right?
0: It is. And you don't know what you don't know. And because you haven't done it before, it's like you can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts, but you don't really know it's going to work until you actually go do it. So um, I was looking all over the country in various markets, but I I wanted to get as many units as I could with the money that I had. So ended up doing the first deal in Cincinnati, uh, 11 units, bought it for $350,000. It was, had all the issues. Uh, I hired the wrong property management uh, company to start. Um Four tenants moved out as soon as it took over, um, but had to pivot a couple months in into a new property manager. And they were able to help me get those units turned and, and renovated. And a couple of years later, I did a cash out refi and I was able to pull out all of my down payment and all of the rehab plus a little bit.
1: Okay. That's awesome. How'd you land on Cincinnati.
0: I was just looking at um, markets uh, had some good cash flow and good fundamentals. It had decent population growth, decent employment growth, and you could still buy at a relatively high cap rate. So I felt like, okay, if I'm going to do my first deal, uh, going into a Midwest market where there's decent cash flow, it'd be kind of hard to screw it up. And so I just thought for the first one, that'd be the path for me.
1: Okay, awesome. And how many multi-family long-term deals did you do before you got into another asset class, whether that be, I guess you got into short-term rental second. So how did that, how many did you do before you got into short-terms and what did that pivot look like?
0: Yeah, I did 5 multifamily deals in about 350 units across all five deals before I did the first boutique hotel. The first short-term rental was, uh, I had a no money down uh, loan through a local credit union. And so I bought a, a local property here, a little two-bed, two-bath condo here in downtown San Diego. Cool little neighborhood, new construction. Um, I bought that thing for $574, put like $14,000 in the furnishing. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just threw it up on Airbnb. And this thing has been doing $110,000 gross every single year since I've had it. And it's just been such an easy property because everything's brand new.
1: That's awesome. And what year yeah. was that that you bought it?
0: This was in 2019. That was the first one. No idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything about Air DNA or any of that stuff back oh, then. I had no idea uh, what
1: I was doing when I started either.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: you learn by doing, I think, more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So how many single family or condo short-term rentals, just meaning everything other than boutique hotels, do you have in your portfolio at the moment?
0: Yeah. So right now I I own four short-term rentals. One of them is the luxury property in Scottsdale. And then um, we manage about 35 total short-term rental uh, rental listings. Um, Some of them are ours and then some are third-party clients and that's across nine markets right now.
1: All right, cool. So let's hear some more about the luxury place in Scottsdale because I think a lot of people right now, they're kind of getting, I think new investors are getting tripped up By not running their own race, they're looking at all of the influencers and all the YouTube channels and seeing all the crazy things that people are doing that are doing like, you know, tiny home and glamping villages and, you know, just a lot of like really advanced stuff. And I think people get discouraged and think, well, you know, if I'm not going to do this really crazy, cool thing, then I'm just not going to get started. And they don't realize that you can just buy the two bedroom condo and furnish it really nicely and and do well. Uh, So let's hear about this, this luxury one. How'd you finance it? What did it take to get it? All that fun stuff, all the things
0: yeah so this happened right when i was selling my 32 unit um building out in indianapolis we bought that for 1.2 we put about 500 into improvements and then we sold it two years later for north of 3 million and i had two partners and i thought okay i want to go buy a luxury short-term rental something that i can buy at a discount and renovate and add value and then do a cashed out refi but then hold this thing long term and short-term rental it so i started looking around the country and although I did my first deal in Cincinnati, my uh, my belief in where I want to invest has since pivoted. So I like to go into higher growth markets now to where I can get a lot more upside on the value add and the renovations. So I did some research and I found Scottsdale had good, uh, good tourism year round and it had good market fundamentals. And so I knew my ability to buy with the 1031. So I could afford about $2.5 million in purchase price. And so I went and toured about 17 or 18 properties out there on the MLS that were in that $2.5 million range. And this one, I I ended up moving forward with because it had a 1.3 acre lot. It was on a golf course. So I didn't have neighbors behind me. I didn't have neighbors to the side. Basically, just had one neighbor on the left side of the property, Um, 7,600 square foot. It was a single family plus a guest house in the back. It was five bed, eight baths, but I knew it was tired. And it with a good renovation, we could probably do eight to 10 bedrooms with this property. So bought it on a hard money loan. Uh, they did 80% loan to cost at 8% interest only. And they did a renovation holdback, meaning for your listeners, so all the renovation came capital that they're going to finance, they're going to hold back those funds and they'll finance it on draws. And so you'll do a portion of your renovation. Let's say the first couple hundred thousand, they'll send someone out to inspect, typically a video tour. Um, and they just want to inspect that that portion of the work is done correctly. And then they'll they'll reimburse you the 200K. And so I ended up putting 800 into it. We turned it into an eight bed, eight bath, We turned one of the second living rooms into a speakeasy. So it's got like this really cool, like black wall, kind of a library bookcase type of thing. And you open it up and it's got this cool speakeasy in there with like a fireplace and like a seating area and a bar. Um, We converted the second uh, walk-in closet in the master into a fitness room. We just felt like we didn't need two walk-in closets in a master bedroom for a short-term rental. So we converted it into a cool fitness room. We got two Peloton bikes. We got a tonal. And, uh, then we renovated the back house. So the guest house was huge. It was a one bedroom, one bath with a four car garage. So we converted that four car garage into an additional two bedrooms and a game room and a full bath. And so now the property is eight bed, eight bath with all the amenities. And then exterior wise, um, we put in a beach volleyball court. We did a full court basketball court with like Phoenix suns logos and everything. And then, um, we did a putting green. It's got a saltwater pool, a jacuzzi, and I'm probably missing a couple things, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. So check this out. Bought it for 2.4. We put in 800 and then it appraised at 4.89 and I did a cashed out refinance and now just holding the property long-term.
1: Wow, so that is a lot of strategies mixed into one. <laughs> okay, newbies, do not try this at home until you are very experienced. <laughs> that was that was a lot. So let's. There's a few things I want to dive into here and and talk about a few components. So. A, uh, the short-term shop actually just opened up our Scottsdale office. So if anybody, after hearing Rich talk about this, wants to buy in Scottsdale with us, just email agents at the short shop.com and we'll hook you up. Uh, so how did you settle on Scottsdale? What made you choose that market?
0: Yeah. So I love Scottsdale because it's got good tourism year round. Um, you got four major sporting teams out there. You got the uh, PGA tournament, the waste management tournament every February. Um, and then you had, I mean, this year we had the Super Bowl out there, and then you have spring training baseball. Um, and it was a higher growth market. You got good school systems, et cetera. And I actually bought in the zip code that they call the magic zip code. 85254. And the reason they call it the magic zip code is because it's got a Scottsdale mailing address, but you're actually on the Phoenix side. So you pay the lower property taxes, but you still have the paradise Valley school district where all the schools are all nines and tens. Um, and then you get the lower property taxes. And I also felt like by going into the Phoenix side, you probably have a little bit less chance of like future short-term rental regulations.
1: Okay. Okay. Awesome, yeah. I was just in Scottsdale last week at the Level Up Your Listing Summit, and nice. I have really missed good Mexican food. You cannot get, and by that I mean like Tex-Mex, so not authentic necessarily, but uh, we don't have that over here in the Panhandle of Florida. So, being an ex-Texan, I've really missed that kind of food. So, like every single meal, same same type of food. It was it was great, which Love is not. That. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I Um, love good Mexican food. But being in San (laughs) Diego, I gotta I gotta admit, you're lucky. Uh nothing nothing in the country competes the San Diego Mexican food. I mean we're so close to Tijuana and uh we got California burritos over here. I love tacos, uh uh what are the pork ones called? Tacos al pastor. Oh my gosh, my Uh, favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, I lived in Texas for six years and I also lived in Los Angeles, so I've had access to good authentic and tech authentic Mexican and then Tex Mex and then like living in Nashville and then here in the Florida panhandle, there's just nothing. It's just like that, you know, side of the road, big plate of goopy. I call it goopy Mexican. There's fresh Mexican <laughs> and goopy Mexican food.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll have to try goopy Mexican sometime. It's I, uh, I got it. Yeah. So the Tex-Mex stuff have like the white, uh, queso sauce, like dipping mm-hmm. sauce for chips. I actually yeah. kind of like that in a weird way.
1: Yeah. Well, so what we have here is just like, garbage it's just garbage is that's the only way <laughs> the <laughs> only way to describe it anyway back to business yeah uh, do not invest in short-term rentals based on where you can get the best Mexican food although it's tempting hey guys if you're enjoying the content of our podcast but you have additional short-term rental questions we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free it's at 1 pm. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live QA on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. All right. You and you said why you've you've chosen Scottsdale and, and kind of mm-hmm. how you chose the location. So You mentioned a hard money loan. I think a lot of new investors listen to a lot of podcasts and they think that they can't just go get a conventional loan and buy a house and rent it, which they absolutely can. So can you tell us as an expert and and an experienced investor, when is a good time to use a hard money loan? Because it's not all the time. It's not on every property.
0: Yeah. I think a good time to use it is when you're going to do a full renovation on a property. Um, so if you're going to do a steep value add and you're going to put a lot of renovation money into improvements, um, it will make sense to get a hard money loan because they will finance a percentage of the purchase price and they will finance a, per, a percentage of the renovation. So with this particular deal, the lender finance 80% of the purchase and 80% of the uh, renovation. So it will, it will definitely give you more leverage and a higher ROI. But you got you to gotta know what you're doing and you got you to gotta definitely know how to estimate your uh, improvement costs. And you got to stick to a, a specific timeline because it's easy to go over timeline with these renovations. A lot of these hard money loans might only be 12 months. Um, there are some hard money lenders out there that prey on investors uh, not hitting their timelines. So you got to be cognizant of that. Make sure you have some extensions and make sure you're you're good on your budget.
1: So you really would only use a hard money loan In a situation where you don't plan to keep that loan for any extended length of time. So it would be something that while you're renovating, you're using this type of loan and then you plan to refinance at the end into something a little easier, a little more palatable, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You want to be able to get in, get out. These loans are typically high interest. I mean, when I did that one, this was before the interest rate environment went up and I could get that at 8%. Now that same loan product is probably 12 to 13%.
1: Ooh, yeah. I've ever, I've never actually used a hard money loan, but um, I think a lot of people think they have to do that. That just, oh, I'm going to invest in real estate. I better get a hard money loan. And that's not the case. So thank you for clearing that up for us.
0: Yeah, of course. And one last thing while we're talking about Scottsdale, okay. um, I didn't realize that you guys are out there now. So congrats mm-hmm. on that. Great market. Love it out there. Um, For your listeners out there, if anyone is in the Scottsdale area, I am co-hosting a real estate meetup with Pace Morby, um, April 18th. It's a Wednesday at my Scottsdale luxury Airbnb. So for any listeners out there, great chance to come network with Pace and I. There'll be uh, free drinks, food, live music, and a chance to tour of this luxury property that we just talked about.
1: Oh, awesome. I'm going to be there the next... I was thinking, oh man, I'm going to be there that week, but I won't all be there May 18th. But that sounds really cool. So y'all need to check that out if you heard that. Okay. So you mentioned co-hosting. Let's talk about that first and then we'll get into the hotels. So what made you decide, Hey, I think I'm going to co-host for other people or manage other people's property. Uh, Cause for me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to manage. Like I have a hard enough time. It's enough headache managing our own properties with just, you know, dealing with guests and different personalities. So I don't want to add another set of personalities to the mix over here on the owner side. So tell me a little bit about what made you decide to do that.
0: Yeah. So as soon as I had the three short-term rentals, I knew that I did not want to be the one doing the guest communication and coordinating the cleaning and the maintenance and all that sort of thing. And so right away, I hired a part-time assistant who was able to take over the guest comms. When I had closed on that Scottsdale property... I knew at that point, um, I wanted to start to grow the team. And I thought, well, as we grow a team to manage these short-term rentals, we could use the same team to manage for third-party owners and bring in more revenue. And so uh, at the time, I thought, well, I know a lot of people um, who have invested in my multifamily deals. I wonder if any of them would be interested in buying a short-term rental if we identified the deal. And then we would do all the work. We would design, set it up, and we would actually manage it for them, making it hands-off. So... There was a a good amount of interest of it. Um, A lot of people had invested in my past deals thought, well, I have some extra money. I want to buy a short-term rental and see what it's all about. And so a lot of those individuals ended up buying short-term rentals. And uh, we would basically do everything. We would identify the deal. We would design, set it up, and manage the entire thing. And so we were able to build our co-hosting portfolio through that strategy.
1: That's really interesting. So you went from... were you actually syndicating deals or you just had like a few friend investors? Okay. So you went from your syndicating syndicating Mm -hmm. and went to that same group of investors and said, Hey, here's a different way to do this. And that's, that's really, really smart. I haven't heard of anybody using that strategy to build a co-hosting portfolio yet. Most people just do, they go about it a a different way, but coming from the long-term syndication world, Over here, you already had like a whole pool of people who would do this. That's genius. I love it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, when they're investing in the syndications, they're investing into an LLC as a limited partner. And so I just said, hey, this is an opportunity for you to get direct ownership, but it's still hands off and passive because we'll do all the work. And they loved it.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, that is genius because that's the exact... Pool of the exact type of investor that you would want as a property manager, somebody who wants to be completely passive. So that's wow, you just blew my mind. That was genius, (laughs) great move. I'm impressed.
0: (laughs) I I will say this though, and generally speaking, what you said is correct, and that was my intuition all along. Is like a great passive investor or a limited partner in a syndication is going to be a great uh, third party owner to manage for because they understand being passive and hands off. But I will say. buying a short term rental and having direct ownership for some limited partners is a little bit more of an emotional thing because mm-hmm. now it's under their their personal name or their personal llc and they want to be a little bit more hands off. So generally speaking what you said is true, but there is there is a caveat.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess there's exceptions to everything, but yes. Uh good I love that move. Um okay, so let's talk about now the marriage of multifamily and short term rentals. So it's It's funny because we have a lot of multifamily also that we long-term, you know, no, no short-term in there. And people always say, well, why don't you think about turning those into short-terms? And I'm like, because they're my long-terms and they're doing what they need to do. And by the way, that would be a hotel. (laughs) Like Mm. you've independently come to the idea of what a hotel is. Uh, So what made you decide to get into the hotel space? Because I think anybody who's ever owned a short-term rental, has driven by you know, one of those cool old retro roadside motels and been like, man, that would be really cool to renovate and, and turn it into just like an Airbnb short-term rental. So I think we've all had that idea. I personally have never made the effort and probably won't make the effort to be honest, um, <laughs> because I'm just at a point where it's like, we have enough doors. I think we're we might be at a point of starting to pay some things off rather than adding more work Mm -hmm. for more money. We'll just pay some things off and make more money for the same amount of work. Mm -hmm. But had the idea kind of come to me and the ability to buy a motel like that sooner in our investment career, I probably would have, but I do find it really cool and kind of a fun idea. So I, I want to hear about the nuts and bolts of, of that, what the numbers look like, how you structure that deal, everything.
0: Yeah. I love that you said uh, a marriage between multifamily and short-term rentals. I have not heard that before, but it actually makes a lot of sense. So um, as multifamily um, became to, it became more and more overheated, especially in 2021, when uh, we're coming out of 2020, where the government printed 40% of the money supply, they dropped interest rates basically to zero. And so at that time, a lot of multifamily uh, money was just looking for these assets. And so we were underwriting a lot of deals um, any good deal with a decent pricing guidance in a good market would have forty to fifty property tours, and they would have twenty-five to thirty offers. And so we just felt like it was—it became more and more challenging to compete. And so I came up with the idea. I said, "Well, what these short-term rentals are doing so good, and now I have this management company to where it gives us full control, and we can operate and manage these properties remotely. What if we go buy a, um, a boutique hotel?" So the first one came to fruition. I was actually sitting in a coffee shop down in uh, Medellin, Colombia, and I was just browsing LoopNet and I saw this 10-unit boutique hotel up in Northern California. It was beachfront and um, it had a phone number of the broker. It wasn't marketed that great, but I called the broker and come to find out this owner had owned the property for 20 plus years. Um, it was a 2000 built property, so it had great bones. It was beachfront and he just wanted to retire and he was willing to sell or finance the deal. And she said, Hey, like, you know, the property's kind of remote. It's in Humboldt County. Um, no one's really took the time to come up here and tour the property. So I flew up there and uh, toured the property actually flew up there with the seller uh, in a small airplane there's a it's an area called shelter cove it's beachfront and there's a little tiny like airport right next to the hotel you fly in it's gorgeous and you just walk off the runway over to the hotel uh and at the time, I remember it was a Monday, and there was only one of the 10 units were occupied. And it was very rural. And I remember thinking, I don't know if this is gonna work for our business model. But what gave us the confidence to move forward is we actually went and walked some of the surrounding hotels. And the hotel directly next door was also 10 units, and met the innkeeper and just told her that we were interested in buying this hotel next door. And um, she ended up showing us all their books and all their revenue year-round at the hotel next door. And the hotel we were buying was doing less than $200,000 a year. It was losing money every single year. But the hotel next door, uh, the innkeeper showed us all their books and they were doing almost $700,000 a year, not even on Airbnb, not on Verbo and their units were nice but they weren't as large as the other hotel and i knew hey we're going to renovate this property we got living rooms we got kitchens fireplaces so if we do a good job with the renovation and we do a good job with marketing on all the ota platforms such as airbnb verbo we can exceed the seven hundred thousand dollars that the hotel next door was doing and so that's what ultimately gave me the confidence to move forward on that deal Uh, bought it on seller finance seller finance seventy percent of the purchase price And uh, raise the rest of the money from my investors. And the way we structured it was we didn't actually give the investors equity in this particular deal. Um, We actually just brought them in in the form of debt, which is kind of cool. So what I did was we formed a investor LLC and the investors all invested into that LLC. And then the investor LLC lent a promissory note to the hotel LLC. And so we gave the investors a nice fixed return. And when we go to refinance the property, um, two years into the business plan, then we'll use the proceeds to pay off the seller and to pay off the investor note. But it's a way to own hundred percent of the property day one using zero of your own money.
1: Wow. That's also really, really clever because I think most people think the only way to do that is you just have a bunch of partners involved where you mm-hmm. don't own the entire thing. So that's, that's a really valuable piece of information also.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and it only works if you're going to like be able to really two to three X to value the property in a short amount of time. And I think with multifamily, the deals aren't out there like that, right? Especially anymore. I think over the last 10 years, a lot of these operators went and bought up all the value add stuff. They renovated them and kind of sucked the returns out of them if you would. But in the boutique hotel space, especially less than 30 units, there's so many mom and pop operators out there who have owned these properties for decades and they're not utilizing any of the marketing strategies or technology they are not on social media. A lot of these properties are tired and they're willing to sell or finance them because they don't have any debt. And that's how they bought these hotels 30, 40 years ago. And so I think that model actually works pretty good with the hotels.
1: Awesome. And I'm worried now that listeners are going to have a, an unrealistic expectation on their first deal that the neighbor is going to completely open up their books to them and show them everything they should be able to do. <laughs> I so, <know>. uh, <laughs> I you'd mean, you'd be surprised what people
0: will tell you if you're honest and you have a couple of drinks for them. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, I'm surprised, man, because I I know a lot of times we hear new investors say like, "Well, I would like to see some real data from other people," and a lot of times you can't get that because you don't know mm. that person. You just and so that's really like that was really lucky that. You met that lady who would show you their entire books to kind of give you a baseline of what you should be able to do. Um, that's awesome. Would you, would you still have bought it if you hadn't been able to see that? Was there no. any other way that you could figure it out? You wouldn't have bought it.
0: I wouldn't have, yeah, because uh, you know, if you we use CoStar and CoStar is great for uh multifamily and hotel data. Um, But the data up there was very limited. There was just, it's a rural area and not a lot of hotels. And so without that innkeeper next door showing us the books, I wouldn't have had the confidence to move forward on the deal. So shout out to her. I think her name was Jennifer.
1: Thanks, Jennifer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, all right. So we are coming to the end of our time. So we have three questions that we ask every single guest that comes on the show. The first one is what advice would you give 20-year-old rich if you knew then what you know now?
0: Just get started in, in real estate sooner. I know it sounds cliche, um, but you know a lot of people that are looking to do their first deal, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get stuck because there's so many different ways to make money within real estate, but there's no right or wrong. And I think the true value is just to get started and do your first deal because you don't know what you don't know.
1: Totally agree with that. And that's kind of how we got started too. We just said all right, we're doing this. And we didn't, we did not uh, wait for everything to be perfect before we did it. And I always say, it's kind of like having a baby. You're never going to say like, okay, everything's ready. I'm ready to have a baby. you just kind of, it happens and you make it work. So Mm -hmm. um, I agree with that. You just, you just have to get going and you learn as you go.
0: It's everything in life. The timing is never going to be perfect. And sometimes you just got to take action and figure out how.
1: Exactly. This question is kind of similar. But what advice would you give a new investor who's getting started today at this point in the market in 2020, what year is it? Three, 2023.
0: Mm -hmm. So right now we're in an interest rate environment um, that's volatile. Um, We're in a market that's softening. So in order to buy in this market it's going to be different strategy than what it was three, four, or five years ago. So right now, in order for me to buy, it's three things. I need to buy at a discount. So make sure you're not overpaying for a property. Number two, I need to buy a property that I can uh, renovate and improve and add value. Maybe it's through increasing the income. Maybe it's through impl- implementing better management strategies, but I need to be able to add value. And then number three, I need to I need to secure some good debt to where I don't have a crazy prepayment penalty and I can refinance out of this debt uh, when the interest rates go back down.
1: Great advice. And last question: What is your favorite book that's impacted your
0: mindset? Oh man, I would say so. The first one I read was Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, but I would say the one that I actually like kind of like stuck to most. Um, was Multifamily Millions by Dave Lindahl. And the reason I say that one is because it just teaches you, like as a brand new investor um, and you don't know anything about commercial real estate, it teaches you the power of buying a commercial property that's underperforming and renovating it, making it nice again, and how you can force your appreciation that way. And it just gives you all the fundamentals and confidence to go do your first commercial deal. And so it'd have to be Multifamily Millions.
1: Nobody said that one yet. And I have not read that. And I will go read that, putting mm. it on my list, putting it on my audible. Yeah, Got a great. long set of flights tomorrow. We're heading to Montana to, on a ski trip with the kids, but it's nice. two, two separate layovers, which I'm regretting now before mm. even having left the house. But anyway, that's it'll tough. Be fun. The two is tough, <laughs> but
0: y'all I'm sure i will be worth it.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Rich, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you, follow you, all of those fun things, how can they find you?
0: Yeah. So I'm very active on social media. My Instagram handle is at rich underscore Summers. That's S-O-M-E-R-S. If you want to learn more about investing passively in boutique hotels, it's uh, summerscapital.com. And I have a new podcast that's in person. Got a studio out here in San Diego. We're going to have Avery on, hopefully in Nashville. Would love to have you on the show then, but it's called The Rich Summers Report. Um, We do a lot of how to stuff. I do a lot of interviews with some like high level guests. And so that's exciting. And then lastly, we are rolling out a mastermind uh, next week. That's going to be geared around uh, how to buy a boutique hotel using zero of your own money and how to operate it. So excited for that.
1: Oh, great. Because that was the main thing about this interview that I was like, man, that's really cool how he Mm -hmm. did that. And you're going to teach us how to do that.
0: No one's really doing the boutique hotel mastermind thing right now. And so I told the team, I'm like, you know what, this is our opportunity. Let's do it. And let's see if we can help a bunch of other people. So excited for that.
1: Awesome. Uh, and what's the link for that again? I know you said it, but I missed it. So,
0: yeah, so we haven't rolled it out yet. The boutique hotel mastermind, but we will next week. But if you just uh, go to my social media, it's at rich underscore summers. Um, I'll have all the updates there.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. Uh, this was a really, really helpful interview and, you know, a lot of, uh, techniques and strategies that we haven't heard about yet on the show. So thanks so much.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and excited to uh, connect to Nashville.
1: Yeah. Anytime. See you then.
0: Yep.